Hi, welcome to Adventures in Contracting. I am Leona Charles, CEO and President of SBC Business Consulting, where we do all things government contracts. So today's episode is another situation that is close to home. This one takes place in Washington, D.C. So the facts of this case and a little bit of background, the District of Columbia Housing Authority, which I will be referring to as DCHA because it is a bit of a mouthful, uh, currently owns and operates about 8,084 units of public ho- of federal public housing in 60 developments across the district. So the issue is HUD has issued a scathing report on the operations and the management of DCHA. One of the biggest things that stood out is DCHA has an executive director being paid $275,000 a year, well above the HUD threshold. And this director has no direct property management experience, no public housing experience. And the report has quoted that there is a obvious lack of ability in the oversight management of the agency. So now we're going to get into some nuts and bolts of it. So in fiscal year 2022, HUD provided 52,972,662 dollars to DCHA for operating grants funds. And this is basically just like the general operation of the agency. And then they provided them with $23,592,851 in capital grants funds. Now, these are for the capital improvements, which are the repairs and the maintenance of the individual units. There was a remote review of DCHA's procurement processes in 2021, and they reviewed a total of 14 separate procurement actions that totaled um, $63,112,000. Thousand eight hundred seventy-four and fifty cents. Now, because DCHA is an independent agency, according to the district code, section six dash two thirteen C, the executive director is responsible for the oversight and execution of contracts. So, if you've been in the Fed space, this, this might feel a little wonky because uh, in federal agencies, the contracting officer is the only one who is able to bind the government to a contract. But in a lot of state agencies and, and, and municipalities, the chief executive officer is going to be the chief procurement officer. So they're going to be the ones that are going to be responsible for the signing off on proposal evaluations, signing off on contract awards, signing off on contract administration, and that kind of thing. So the, th- the thing about the district is there are a couple different levels with the procurement. So most of the district agencies are under the Office of contracting and procurement, their procurement rules, they have to follow those. But then you have independent agencies who don't have to follow those rules. Now, some of them are governed by PPRA, which is a Procurement Reform Act, and some of them are not. But the ones that are independent agencies are able to have their own procurement rules and their own procurement policies. They do not have to follow OCP's procurement rules and policies. They do, however, have to follow, you know, the district, the DCMR, which is the district municipal regulations, uh, district municipal code and regulations. They do have to follow that, but they can have their own independent and totally unique set of procurement rules. So what is interesting is this, this report comes out and it says basically, okay, this executive director, she's not really proficient in the management oversight of this agency. She's not really proficient in, in these contracts. So 
The district's response to that was to issue a delegation of authority in November of 2022. And the the delegation basically says that I'm going to give all of this procurement authority to the CEO. But the CEO can only enter into contracts of a value of $249,999. They can't, they can't, a $250,000 contract they cannot enter into. They're able to enter into, administer, terminate, and make related determinations and findings for DCHA, its subsidiaries, and its instrument instrumentalities, which just basically means DCHA, its departments, and anybody that it's affiliated with or has authority to affiliate with. The designation is also subdelegated to the vice president of the Office of Administrative Service in the absence of the contracting officer. So in other words, if a contract needs to be signed or something needs to be modified and, and the CO is not there, then this delegation authority provides the, the VP with the ability to do all of the things that the contracting officer would regularly do. So a delegation is not unusual. It's not unheard of. You see it all of the time. People will delegate their authority, especially if it's a larger organization, because there is no way that just one person can can do all of the contract things. So they will delegate their authority to other other CEOs within the agency or to contract administrator or, you know, to cores or, or COTARs, which are technical representatives. It just depends on the agency and the CEO and kind of what management decides on. The the thing to remember, though, is that these delegations are typically dependent on a CO's warrant, and a warrant is basically the amount of a contract a CO is allowed to um, engage in. So, if I had a million dollar warrant, I would, and if I signed a five million dollar contract, that contract would not be valid because I don't have the warrant to allow the government to enter into that five million dollar contract. And what you'll see is that it's not a it, it's it doesn't talk it, it's not a, a, an indication of a CEO's ability the the level of well it is to some degree but it's not that's not the only reason why they would have a warrant at that degree you'll have some people that will have a warrant up to a million dollars you'll have some people that have a warrant up to 250 you have a 250,000 you will have some people that have a 5 million dollar warrant and some people who have an unlimited warrant and all it means is that they can sign contracts up to the amount of their warrant Anything that exceeds the amount of their warrant, they are not able to bind the government to in a contractual form. So now I want to go over some of the findings of the HUD report. And, and some of these are really eye-opening and, and some of these are, are, are a little, a little um, distressing. So the first one that I found that was kind of distressing for me was HUD found that the DCHA board could not find a procurement policy. They searched all the way back to 2006 and they were unable to find a written procurement policy, which is crazy, right? Because the procurement policy determines how you award things, how you manage the contracts that you award, what you require people to submit to the agency for oversight, how often you report out, what you're looking for. It details how your evaluations are handled. And so if you have any disputes, everything is written. So you have a way to come back and say, no, this is the policy. This is what we have to do. And it's very clear and it makes it easier for you to manage contracts. But Hunt found the DCHA could not find any policy that was written 
um, that they were allegedly following. So what they did, what they were able to pull out was some guidance, which was an, which is an unadopted policy. It's not an official procurement policy that they were using. But within this guidance, they found that the guidance cited incorrect regulatory language. And they also cited that according to 2 CFR 318, a written procurement policy is required. And DCHA did not have that. They found that the $140,000 award to Studio 27, the $35,000 award to Matlock and Matlock, and the $150,000 award to Sincere Consulting were paid using non-federal funds, which violated the unofficial procurement policy that DCHA was using. They also found that 49 multiple awards, which spread out to 220 individual contracts, violated the procurement, the DCHA's procurement policy. The current policy did not allow for multiple awards. So the result was that DCHA is now required to pay Uncle Sam back for all federal funds that they used for non-federal purposes. And they have to do it within 30 days. So that's a bit of an ouch. So we're talking about 220 individual contracts that they have to refund the government for. DCHA was found to have violated procurement policy by awarding, I'm sorry, they were found to have violated the procurement policy of awarding to the lowest responsible bidder, meeting the minimum qualifications. So you'll hear this term a lot. And in the Fed space, you'll hear it as LPTA, which is the lowest, lowest price technically acceptable, which basically means the bidder has to meet all of the minimum qualifications, which is the past performance, the technical ability the expertise and uh, a technical approach, if they've met all of that, then what will happen is that the uh, evaluation panel or the source selection board will rack and stack the responses and say, okay, they've, they've, we've gone through them. They're responsible in the sense that they've answered all of the things that we need them to answer. And so that's equal, right? Then the de defining factor will be price. That's, that's the selection criteria. It's just price. So, it's not really awarded on, they got 10 points for this or 10 points for that. It's basically a pass fail. Yes, they have this. Yes, they have that. Yes, they have that. They are minimum qualified. They are responsible. And so the thing that they are graded on then is the price. And it's the lowest one that wins. Again, this is not a, this is not a um, unusual method. It's done fairly often, but they found that DCHA did not, did not use it. They also found that DCHA used an intergovernmental agreement, which basically is just a, well, let me go back. They used an intergovernmental agreement that they were not eligible to be on, and, it, and they awarded a $5.1 million contract as the using that vehicle, and that agreement could not be used to do that. Uh, and an intergovernmental agreement is just basically one state saying to another state, hey, I see you have this contract. You have the, it covers all of these services. I'd like to jump on that contract and we'll use the vendors that you've awarded for, you know, for this contract. Again, this is not a sketchy practice. It's common practice. And if done right, it provides states with more flexibility, less cost, and it provides vendors with more competition and the ability to grow because you can grow into geographic areas that you may not have been in otherwise.
They also found that DCHA was utilizing geographical preferences in federal federal procurements, which is a violation of the regulations, a violation of HUD regulations. So when they say geographic uh, preferences, they're talking about things like for for the for DC the CBE. Uh, I know Baltimore has a, a preference based certification as well or set aside as well. So when they're talking about geographical preferences, that's what they're talking about. And the district does have, if you have a contract that's over $250,000, the district procurement law, remember, if you follow, if you fall under OCP's procurement, you have to, to if it's over $250,000, you have to award a percentage to CBEs. But DCHA is an independent agency, so they don't fall under OCP. So therefore, they should not have been using geographical preferences, which they were. DCHA was found to have used a government purchase card to circumvent the procurement process. And this is a big deal, mainly because government purchase cards, you'll hear them referred to as GPCs, they're government purchase cards. They're... There, there's a limit on how much you can buy on them, right? It's usually $25,000. And, and that may vary from state to state or from municipality to municipality. You're, the thresholds can can differ. Uh, but the normal amount is somewhere between ten dollars and $25,000. The FAR specifically says that you cannot take a large contract and break it up into smaller contracts in order to avoid... Uh, competition. And that's essentially what they've done. So they awarded, they awarded contracts without saying, Hey, without doing, Hey, we're, we're going to buy this, put the solicitation out, have people bid on it. They just went and said, Hey, we would like to buy this. And if it was a million dollars, they split it up into four separate contracts of 25,000 and used a government purchase card. This is an uh, this is a, a lack of transparency and it it's a lack of competition and it's a it's a big deal because it essentially especially for for local businesses keeps them out of out of the running. They found that DCHA awarded multiple contracts totaling $875,000 without any competition. So this is a big deal because after a after a certain amount you have to you have to you have to compete it. And in DC, it's the $250,000, right? It needs to be competed. And that means that you have to do a public notice. That means that you have to answer questions. That means that you have to do evaluations. That means that you have to provide justifications for the points scored. And it appears that they thought that was going to be too much work. And really, when you're using public funds, that is never too much work. You, you know, it should be a fairly transparent process. The problem with the lack of competition is, is you're hurting the government, right? So DCAGA is hurting itself. The whole point of competition is so that you could bring in a diverse pool of vendors who can provide different solutions at different price points, and the government can make the decision that with the best interest of the agency. And by going straight to or bypassing competition, DCHA intentionally harmed the agency by not allowing them the ability to seek a cheaper, more effective solution. They also found that DCHA's board chairman failed to disclose his domestic partnership in a firm that was awarded a contract. So this is a huge deal. 
we've talked about how the FAR requires transparency, re requires competition. The FAR also requires that solicitations and awards do not have unfair competitive advantages. So one of those is obviously this, this board's chairman, that's an unfair advantage. And I know in previous episodes, we've talked a lot about creating that division between conflicts of interest. And this is a huge conflict of interest, right? Because as the board chairman, he knows how much money is on the table. He knows which projects are getting a priority. So he would be able to, speci to specifically speak in that proposal to priorities, internal priorities that the general public wouldn't know. He's able to speak to teams that, you know, the team structures that outside vendors wouldn't know. He's able to speak to uh, office politics and how to get around that, which outside firms wouldn't know. And he's able to speak to timelines that have been decided or 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 uh, software packages or equipment that that they're not happy with, things that the average vendor wouldn't know just right off the bat. And that creates a unfair competitive advantage. And that is a huge deal. And it is mostly a huge slap in the face to all of the the district vendors that could have done the work because they were they were artificially excluded based on this gentleman's relationship. They also found that DCHA purchased K95 masks without any open procurement action. Now this in and of itself, the purchase of the mask, this did not have to be a thing. If you want to purchase something without open procurement, there is a way to do it. It's called sole sourcing. But to do that, you have to have a technical justification. And the FAR tells you that a failure to plan is not a justification for a sole source or not wanting to go through the competitive process is not a justification for a sole source. And it seems that this was really the reason why they did this. What they could have done is if they were going to buy the K95 masks, and we all know during the pandemic, it was very difficult for agencies to get these, that would have been a sufficient justification to sole source it. You know, there's only one company within, you know, 150 miles that we can, that we have found that can supply this. That is an appropriate justification. Or there's only one company that can get these masks to us within two weeks, which is, a, we need them. This is a, a pandemic. Time is of the essence. We need that. We need that company that can make it within that time frame. That is a, a sufficient justification, but to just do it without any notice that you're going to do a sole source, you have to notify the public. You have to put it on a government point of entry. You have to give people a chance to say, wait, 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 we can do that. We can provide that. You can't just say, oh, we're just going to do it and that's it. There's a whole list of things that you need to do to do a sole source. And they didn't do it. So the end result is that DC has to, that DCHA has to repay a lot of money to the federal government within 30 days. And the people that are going to suffer the most for it are going to be the clients that are in those properties, right? They're going to feel the pinch of DCHA not having this money to do what they need to do. So it's a very unfortunate situation. But I saw just this morning um, an article saying that uh, Mayor Bowser is going to, is moving to disband the DCHA board. 
And I, I think that is a, a good thing. I, I'm not often saying wonderful things about the district and, and how the mayor handles some of the procurement activities. But I think in this particular area, she's doing the absolute right thing, taking, taking it down to, to the studs and, and building it up from scratch. I think that's the way it has to be. Um, it's a good decision. And I think it's a good and appropriate response to the report that the federal government put out there. It, this is for sure a black eye on the mayor. And it's not something that she can just kind of say, yeah, yeah, I, I hear you. No, I, she has to act. And just the sheer amount of money that they're going to have to repay the federal government, there has to be some action behind it. And I think disbanding the board is completely the right thing. All right. Well, it, I have enjoyed this. I will keep you posted as, as this unfolds. DCHA is pushing back. They think it's unfair. They think it's an overreach. I don't agree. I think all of the justification that the mayor needs to disband the board is just all she has to do is just kind of put that report in front of everybody. And that's all the justification that she needs. If there is any comments that you have or any questions, please feel free to, to um, reach out to me on any of our social media platforms on TikTok, on Facebook, on LinkedIn. We're at SBC Consulting. If you have any ideals or if you have something that you'd, you'd like me to to review. I will happily do it. Thanks again. And I look forward to the next episode.